Tuesday and welcome to the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and the new Delta 8 capsules. When you use the discount code Colby Show, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, Colby Show, online, abotanicalcompany.com, you save 15% off your online order. So again, it's really easy. Colby Show is the discount code for 15% off your online order at abotanicalcompany.com. And if you're not familiar with these products, give them a call, 405-458-9699. They are more than happy to educate you on any issues you may have and how these products can benefit your daily life. So again, they're, they're great people, easy and safe pickup, abotanicalcompany.com, discount code Colby Show for 15% off your online order with Artisan Botanicals. All right, we're just going to jump into today's conversation. My Tuesday, my weekly Tuesday guest is Eric G from the Tulsa Sports Animal. Eric G, what's going on today? I feel like there are so many different directions we could kick this thing off from, but uh, first and foremost, how's it going? It's going fantastic. I am kind of wondering, though, how Thunder fans are feeling today <laughs> after watching Kevin Durant and James Harden for their first two games in Brooklyn work so well together. And it's first of all, Kevin Durant, you got to hate that guy for no other reason. He's ageless. It just looks like there's like hardly anything that's dropped off his game since injury since he's gotten older, his time in the NBA, the miles that he's put on his body, he is still as smooth as you can possibly get. And it looks like he's going to play in the NBA for at least another 15 years as, as long as he stays healthy. And him and James Harden have already got, you know, I got a little chemistry after a couple of games. And now I'm just thinking, wow, what, what could have been here in Oklahoma City had James Harden just stayed had Sam Presti not traded him that being said I, I I've defended Sam Presti so long on that trade I, I'm, I'm not backing off of it I'll still defend him on that trade that that a young James Harden and eventually you saw what he did in Houston it would have torn Oklahoma City apart um but yeah he, he and Durant are doing everything to prove me wrong on that one they look god they look good Colby well look they you, really do yeah Look. <laughs> yeah, you can there. You can criticize Kevin Durant over a lot of different things, but the one part that you can't criticize is the basketball part, right? Like, no part of no. his game is is something that we can pick apart. And as far as being a teammate, that's the other thing. Like Kevin Durant works with everybody because Kevin Durant doesn't have to dominate the basketball to be an elite player in the NBA. That's why he's as good as he is. There are a lot of great players that have to be ball dominant to be great players. Kevin Durant can be ball dominant. He can be non-ball dominant. He's going to get his no matter what. He's just a problem in the NBA. And when you pair him with a ball dominant guy, again, that's that's why he's so special. And, and if Kyrie Irving can just come in and be a facilitator and just make sure that both those guys are open, Brooklyn's going to be extremely hard to beat, even though they gave away a guy like Karis LeBert who's going to hurt, that's going to hurt them at some point in the short run and at some point in the playoffs because you lost a lot of scoring off the bench and you gave away a guy like Jared Allen who, the best way to describe him is he's a little bit more athletic, maybe not quite as athletic depending on how you want to look at it, Stephen Adams. And he's a guy that, that can get you a lot of offensive boards and, and, and kick it back out and a guy that can... Um, can also start your, start your fast break 
on the defensive end, those losing those two guys will hurt. But seriously, when you, you start to look at them facing up against anybody in the East, I can see them winning seven game series against the Celtics, against the Bucks, against the Seventy Sixers. Um, even without those two guys, they're, they're good enough to make it to the NBA Finals, I, and should be one of the most fun teams to watch in the association over yeah. over these next few weeks. We'll see what happens, obviously, when Kyrie comes back into the mix and and how his personality and you know it, it's not like he's a scrub. I mean, he's he's obviously an elite player in this league as well. So. How much does that dynamic, how much does he want to be the the Chris Bosh, I guess, if you will? How much does that impact just the the free flow of their offense right now? Um, I, I do think it's somewhat humorous that these guys are having so much success together without the third wheel. And there were a lot of people, I think, over the last few seasons that looked at that Thunder trio and said, if you were going to let one of them go, Russell Westbrook was the guy that should have been let go. And now you see what Kevin Durant and James Harden look like playing together. Yeah, and and I do wonder. I mean, if if you had to go back and discuss this with Sam Presti now, as opposed to when Russell Westbrook was still with the Oklahoma City Thunder, what kind of answer he would give you as far as what did he see in Russell, and what didn't he see in James that allowed him to make that move? And there's always going to be talk that people here in Oklahoma City or the powers that be in Oklahoma City were concerned about James Harden's extracurricular activity. Yeah. They were concerned about them in Houston. I mean, look, James, if there's a strip bar, James Harden is going to find it. I mean, and, and there's something that we all need to, Colby, there's something we all need to appreciate about the fact that he has a jersey or a couple of jerseys retired in various strip clubs. I mean, that, that's something that should never be taken lightly. And when he goes into the Hall of Fame, that better be mentioned. Who's ever giving his induction speech, you, you better mention that. But if there were concerns about his extracurricular activities, and, and I remember John Rohde saying that in the locker room after maybe it was game three, game four, is one, one of those games in Miami that the right. they had lost. right. Harden was upset about not getting his. And if that was a concern of Sam Presti's then, it certainly makes sense why you you, you, went, you did the trade because you were worried about him fracturing the locker room. You were worried about him getting to, uh, to become a restricted free agent and you not being able to match the offer. But I, I do wonder, and I got to think the Thunder did, I mean, do you you know, how much do you sit down and do you talk with James about his role and truly about what he wants? Because all we've ever heard from Scott Brooks, from Sam Presti, from James Harden was discussing whether or not he wanted to be the sixth man on the team. But it feels like that conversation needed to go deeper into, James, what do you see for your career? How do you see yourself helping this team? Where do you see your role? You don't just simply ask him, hey, are you good being the sixth man coming off the bench with what we got in that in scoring? No, you, you flesh that out and develop it a little deeper. And it would have been interesting to hear what a young James Harden had to say if he said, well, look, I see myself as an MVP or I see myself as a guy that if I started, I could do this or here's how I could help Russ. Here's how I could help Kevin Durant. And I just get the feeling that those I mean, I, I hate to sit here and, and, and go, well, they never had that conversation. But based on what you 
feel it felt like they were very surface conversations and you didn't dig in didn't dig deep enough yeah. into James or you didn't sit him down and say we understand you like the nightlife we understand you like the party but but can you put that aside yeah it's not the OKC the way the, James well you can, you can ask him can you put it can you put it aside for the season? Yeah. We don't mind. Look, if that's what you're going to do on your day off, that's fine. James, no problem. We understand you're a young man. You want to see naked women. No one's going to hold that against you. <laughs> but when we're on a road trip and we have a game the next day, can you maybe get some rest? Can you maybe do a little film study and then take the, the days off? And we got a couple of days off. Then, dude, go make it rain. Do, do whatever you want. And I don't know. I just get the feeling that the Thunder either didn't have that conversation or that conversation did not go. James didn't say the things they wanted to hear. And I'm just not sure that that's the, that, that's always the best way to run a winning NBA organization because they are adults. And, and unlike the NFL, as my co, my co-host Pat Jones likes to say, you know, the, the NFL, yes, you go on the road. You're there. You get there Saturday. You play Sunday. You leave Sunday. Well, the NBA and Major League Baseball you're and hockey, you're on these extended road trips. Guys are going to have days off. They're going to want to do something other than stay in a hotel and and hang out at the bar there. You've got you've to understand that to an extent. And I'm not saying that the Thunder don't. I just don't know what that moment in time yeah. that gave a guy like James Harden the leeway he needed to be successful. Well, first of all, Which, he probably thought, I mean, if, if you're going to just uh, be dead set on playing Kendrick Perkins against Chris Bosh, then, you know, what's the harm in me going to strip clubs? I mean, they, they equally hurt the team, right? <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> screw it. I'm going out. I'm going be, to party. I, if you're going to play Chris, <laughs> yeah, if you're going to play Chris Perkins on Chris Bosh, then, I'm going to the strip club. We're not going to win anyway. <laughs> and maybe, maybe he did say that. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's one piece of the conversation we don't have. It's like, look, dude, Scotty, I love <laughs> you, but why that move, man? Here you are, mad at me for going and shoving some dollar bills and some G strings and getting a few lap dances. What's your problem, bro? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Now, look, it's it's an interesting conversation, and I always go back to this. I was told this by a very credible source back in the day that even before they traded Harden, I was told that it was going to be a tough situation to keep Harden because ultimately he wanted to, to be the star of a team. And and obviously not giving him the, the max amount of money that he could have received was the final piece to just be like, yeah, I, I, I you know, I'm there's no way I'm accepting that. But I was told way before that ever became an issue that he wanted to be the centerpiece of a team and, and it was just a matter of time before something was going to happen where he was going to have to be sent away or he was going to leave on his own accord because he knew he was good enough. I kind of think that... It, I, look, all three of those guys wanted to be the man. Yeah, There's, there's no question about it. Even Kevin Durant wanted to be the man in Golden State. Let's let's not let, let let's not mince words here. Kevin Durant, when he went out to Golden State, Kevin Durant has known every team that he's been on. He's always been the best player. Russell Westbrook, until he came to Oklahoma City, 
was the best player on every team he had ever been a part of. And I'm sure that Phoenix I don't know. I kind of think that was Kevin Love's team at UCLA. (laughs) You do? (laughs) I don't know. I I mean, you got to think James Harden's probably felt the same way. So here they are. All three of them. I mean, it'd be one thing if if at one point they were really asked to be role players or they weren't as dynamic as they were. We're talking about three dynamic Hall of Fame type players that know they can take over a game at any moment that also all three know they're capable of being the guy, the face of the organization. Eventually, that was going to fracture. Yeah, because not every because when you are that good, there's there is so much ego involved that you can't help but butt heads. And the thing that you, I mean, think about this for a second: the two probably most underappreciated people in the history of the association are going to be Tim Duncan and Steph Curry, because both of those guys have a mentality where they can put that in their back pocket, and if it's eating them. They don't let it get to a point where they want to grab somebody by the throat in the locker room, where Durant, Harden, and Westbrook are just the opposite of that. I mean, they're going to go at you head to toe. They're alpha male. They're not going to lose the argument. And eventually, whoever loses is is going to go to the gym and say, get me the hell out of here because this just does not work. Um, and, and for Durant, he can either only be in a situation where he is the focal point or he's playing with guys that don't mind him being the focal point as it, as it did with Golden State. With Harden, I think he's finally hit a point in his career where he wants to run with another superstar. But I think there has to be some give and take. And that's what's so weird about Harden is there doesn't seem to be any more giving person in the NBA to an extent than Chris Paul. I still, I mean, after a year of covering Chris Paul, I have no idea how that guy didn't get along with everyone. At the <laughs> right. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. Chris Paul is honestly, of all the guys I've covered, and this is going to sound so weird, of all the guys that I have talked to in covering the Thunder, Chris Paul, Raymond Felton, and Carmelo Anthony are the three most likable dudes I have ever met in the NBA. They're all just likable guys. Yeah. They're all guys It seems like they would sit down and talk with you, have a conversation, wouldn't even mention a word about basketball, would care about what you were doing. When I hear all these stories about how we didn't get along, Chris Paul didn't get along with, with Blake Griffin, or didn't get along with, with um, James Harden, I'm like, How? Like, I just got some James egos, Harden man. The egos. Jerk. It's it's it's, I it's really Harden simple. He's the biggest jerk in the world. Yeah. I'm like, how do you not get along with Chris Paul? Yeah, he doesn't seem to care that you're the guy. But then you hear reports of Chris Paul is also that same guy that has to be the alpha man. Exactly. Yeah, and he he was in Oklahoma City and he is in Phoenix now because Devin Booker's a young cat. Um, so I don't. I think at least for the short term, this is going to work really well in Brooklyn. And I think James Harden is on an, on enough of the back nine of his career where he's okay with it now. And I'm still not sure why it didn't work with Russell Westbrook since he's on the back nine of his career too. Because you think that those two would have figured out how to work it together. But I do think um, 
that there's something about Rush. Just the way that Russ plays, there's a comfort level of, of, of he's got a certain way the team has to be managed in order for him to feel like he can be successful and be comfortable out there. And that wasn't going to happen in Houston with James Harden. I think he's gotten so used to just kind of, I'll take over whenever I can, and that's how I, I can best do this. It'll work in Washington. It'll work in Oklahoma City. It won't work with another superstar. And for as good as Bradley Beal is, he's not a superstar at yeah. this point in the league. Or at least I wouldn't. I mean, he's on that cusp. I mean, he's not He's not so far down, but I think he's just that next level down from being that kind of guy where... He, he just plays in Washington. That's the problem. I mean, nobody yeah. nobody sees him play. And he, he's, he's leading the NBA in scoring still, right? I believe I've not looked at the stats, but I'll take your word on that. Uh, I'll just I'll, I'll just go ahead and concede to you being the expert on that. But I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll look that up right away. Uh, but I, yeah, I'm, last time I looked, he was averaging like thirty four a game, leading leading the NBA. But admittedly, that's uh, that's been a few days. So I, you know, maybe oh maybe he God. dropped a few eggs, and uh, I don't know. But I'm just uh, no, he's it's still him. He, it, it's now up to thirty five. Okay, there you go, thirty five. <laughs> the next best is Kevin Durant at thirty. So. Yeah, Brad, yeah, Bradley Beal's yeah. a beast, man. Nobody, it's just he plays in Washington and nobody sees him play. It's not a big market. They're not a good team. Um, so, you know, that's, I mean, in fact, I think they're pretty bad, actually. So, uh, yeah, I think it's easy to overlook Bradley Beal. His skill set, I think, could could put him in the top 10, but he's not had big moments yet. He's not had those playoff series that I think kind of, like, elevate you to, to that status but yeah I mean look James Harden and and Chris Paul I think both wanted the same thing the problem is they both wanted to be the main guy in the scenario that played out in their head and the problem is you always have to have sacrifice somewhere not say I mean one guy is going to get what he wants but the other guy is going to have to sacrifice either that or both guys have to sacrifice so like you know there's only so much spotlight and you either have to decide you're going to share it or you decide that one is going to take a little bit less than the other and that's that. I think that was the issue with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin in in uh, L.A. I think that was the issue with Chris Paul and James Harden in Houston, and certainly in Oklahoma City, there was nobody that was, that was even close to, um, I, I think, competing with him. Not only from a leadership standpoint, but from a, a talent standpoint, either. Well, somebody has to shut up in the locker room, right? Right. And I don't think James. You know, if James Harden could have shut up in the locker room and shut up on the court. And even if he didn't agree with it, just nod and shake his head whenever Chris was talking, I, I they would have been fine. Um, there just wasn't it, – it seems that James James and, and Chris just did not have that respect level for each other. And when Russ and James got together the second go-around, same situation. Where Durant and James seemed to have mutual affection, mutual respect, that wasn't there with the last two superstars that James played with. And I'm not sure what it is about Kevin Durant that, that James Harden truly respects and will listen to. I don't think he, ha- I don't think he has it with Kyrie. And I think that's one of the reasons why this yeah. works is because KD can be the buffer. So when Kyrie starts saying Kyrie type things, James can just kind of look at, at Kevin and then Kevin can handle the situation. And when James starts saying James type things, Kyrie can look back at Kevin and, and Kevin can kind of be the guy that 
that, that smooths everything out. And I'm not sure what that is that Kevin has that Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul didn't, where James would listen to them, other than the fact that there's three and not two. So there wasn't that guy in Houston for, for James to look at and go, can you, you know, can you believe this guy? And that guy step in and make everything better, which is exactly what, what KD is. And you know, KD and I, KD and James are both free spirits. To, to some extent, they're, they're interesting guys to, to put it mildly. And that probably helps them in some way. So what's Kyrie? Kyrie's kind of a weird cat too. He's a be- yeah, um, and I, think case. Say, yeah. I mean, and Chris Paul's really not. I mean, Chris Paul is very, con- he's very conservative. Yeah. Um, he's very measured in, in everything that he does. He's not a guy. He's so calculated in how he goes about his business. He's never going to be one. He's got to worry about embarrassing you. Uh, Russell Westbrook's kind of the same way. He may dress eccentric. He may say things during a, an interview that drive you up the wall. But for the most part, what, I mean, Russell's a family guy. He's going to go home, going to be with his wife and kids. Not going to do anything weird where Kyrie's going to disappear for seven days. Yeah. Kevin is, um, he's a loop. He's the guy that, you know, is going to just, oh, when he's going to go to a museum or he's going to go, you know, hang out and, and for, you know, look for enlightenment or do whatever. He's kind of, and then there's James. <laughs> James is a party animal. Yeah. Um, so, that probably helps all three of them is because they can kind of understand each other's each other's uh, they can understand the fact that all of them, all three of them are so eccentric that it's like, nah, this works. <laughs> so you want to do what tonight, James? Knock yourself out. Whatever. Curry? Yeah. yeah, you're going to go give a, a speech to some flat earthers? Cool, bro. Kevin? Time? They don't care. Where I think Russ and Chris Paul both as we talk, as we talk through this and get through it, kind of like a therapy session, I, I, Russ and Chris Paul both are like, "No, film is at this time, practice is at this time. Show up here, do your job. That's all we care about. And if you can't meet their obligations on those type of things, they really don't have any use for you. I mean, they're, they're kind of taskmasters. I mean, there's reports of of James being late to film and, and Russ like, and Russ was like. Started without him. Yeah, he didn't care. We don't care about him. Yeah, um, where those guys probably give him a little bit more leeway to get away with some crap. <laughs> James in here, oh whatever, man. <laughs> I think that's all true, and I, I think those are all good points. And I would, I would just add to those points that I think there are two other things that make it much easier for him to follow Kevin Durant than the other way around. Number one. When he came into the league, Kevin Durant was an elite player, and he came to Kevin Durant's team. So he's already had that established relationship with Durant where Durant is the guy, and Durant is the person whose team it is. So I think inherently there's going to be that sort of like, you know, I I think acceptance of going to Kevin Durant's team where he's already... You've already been in this situation, right? You've already been on his team. You've already been on a team where he was the leader. So it's not something that's like new and you have to like kind of like choke down like, you know, spoiled milk or something. Um, So that's the first part of it. The second part of it, I I think, is also uh, Kevin Durant's the best player. Like 
I don't, I don't think you could say that Chris Paul was definitely better than James Harden. I don't think you could say that Russell Westbrook was definitely better than James Harden. Is there an argument to be had? Sure. But I don't think it's definitive either way. Nobody's making the point that James Harden's a better basketball player than Kevin Durant. So once again, I think it's a little easier to bend the knee maybe to the other guy when we all universally understand this is probably one of the best two players in the league, in the world. So again, I think there's just a, a, a hierarchy at play here where you know Kevin Durant's just a level up from, from basically everybody. And, and it, it's probably a little bit difficult for James Harden to bend a knee to guys that maybe he feels like are equal to him as opposed to a guy that's on the next level. And and look, the other thing that we can't ignore, the Houston Rockets were James Harden's team. He was there first, and he was the leader of that team. He's who the team was built around. So when Chris Paul came in, obviously James Harden wasn't going to take the second seat to Chris Paul. Same thing with Russell Westbrook. The Brooklyn Nets are built around Kevin Durant. So, it, you know, again, it's, it's a completely different situation than it was in Houston. Well, I mean, it, it shows me that at least to some extent, Harden wasn't willing to do whatever he needed to do to win. Yeah. Um, the word sacrifice doesn't apply to James Harden, and that includes your ego. I, as much as it hurts, sometimes you got to swallow that pride and say, okay, I know I'm the best guy on the team. I know I'm the one that they built the team around, but this guy really needs to be heard in the locker room. That's what makes him tick. So in order for everyone else to be successful, I'll, I'm going to let this go. If I got to complain to someone, I'll go talk to Daryl Morey. I'll talk to Mike D'Antoni. We'll get it worked out and whatever. But even if I don't agree with him, I'll just I'll just let him do his thing. And he wasn't willing to do that. He's only willing to do that for Kevin Durant. I think a lot of it has to do with what you say. He's just kind of used to Kevin Durant yeah. being the guy to some extent. Yeah. Um, well, I, look, Kyrie is coming back. I think tomorrow night's going to be our first action with the three of them playing together. Um, I, you know this about me. I don't get super into the NBA until the, the NFL season is over, so I haven't completely jumped into the NBA season. I've, I've dipped a few toes in at times, but that is one that I will absolutely go out of my way to make sure I, I tune in. <laughs> well, you should. Um, it, the, the fact the fact that you've missed this much, you're missing the Bucks kind of go up and down. You're missing an extremely talented uh, <laughs> Lakers team. I don't know that we can call them a once-in-a-lifetime team, but my God, the Lakers hoarded every yeah. every huge player, every huge muscle-bound player that's over 6'7 in the NBA they hoarded. You're missing a lot. Of this. So well, far, it's been a I'm pretty not, fun season. I'm not saying that I'm ignoring it. I just I'm I don't cannonball in and just consume all of it until football is over. So I, I'm I'm still paying attention. I mean, I knew Bradley Beal was leading the league in scoring. So, well, there you go. You need more than me on that. You need more than me on that. You need uh, way more than me on that one, man. Stats, 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 stats. God bless the stat guys. Let's uh, <laughs> let's talk let's talk football and specifically Baker Mayfield. I you know that game on Sunday was just insane and and for it to to play out the way that it did was was absolutely bananas. But uh, I want to have the Baker Mayfield conversation because he obviously made a bad throw in the second half. But otherwise, even though you know speaking of the stats, the stats didn't necessarily look great. I thought Baker played a really good game. I thought in his two playoff appearances. Uh, this year, he, for, you know, overall, I would give him a passing grade. I thought he was he was really good, and and I was having a conversation earlier in the week about, 
whether or not Baker Mayfield has kind of achieved that or solidified himself as, quote-unquote, a franchise quarterback. So I know that's something that maybe the definition changes for everybody. There's not a universal franchise quarterback definition, but how do you feel about Baker Mayfield after this season? Uh, I, I feel like he's a guy that Cleveland that Cleveland can be confident in committing to. And I had big questions about that going into the, into the Kansas City game, simply because what I didn't know was would Baker Mayfield make – would he throw, let's say, three interceptions, two interceptions where yeah. they weren't – it wasn't somebody just breaking on the ball, making an athletic play, tips at the line of scrimmage, tips by a cornerback that you know somehow stayed up in the air and a safety caught. Were they be those, oh, my God, what the hell was he thinking? Like, did he try and force it? Again, did he go Brett Favre and force it into too tight a window because he thinks he's the only one that can make that throw? He didn't do any of that. Um, I think what you saw from him is a guy that he can play within himself. Um, One, he's benefiting from a great offensive line, some good running back. He has some really, he has some big physical freaking receivers and some physical running backs and some good tight ends. I mean, they're going to be bruisers these next couple of years. He is a franchise quarterback. He's just not a Hall of Fame quarterback, at least not now, unless some things about his game drastically change over the next few years. But if you're Cleveland, what you learn in these first two games is you can win with him. And he had Cleveland in position where if they would have got the ball back late, you had to feel good about them being able to go down the field and score and and maybe, maybe win that game. Um, give Chad any credit on the 13-yard run on a play that broke down around him, and, and he just made a heads-up play, and then the throw to Tyree Kill. Um, I, I think if there was maybe one criticism I had for Baker in Cleveland in that entire game was after Henny's interception in the end zone. I think it was early. Yeah, it was early in the fourth quarter after Henny's interception in the end zone. They didn't get any points out of it. Yeah. Um, but, but other than that, what you left, the way you left that game was feeling like Cleveland has a legitimate shot of contending for the AFC North Championship next year. And they could really be a bear to deal with for anybody in the playoffs. I'm not sure they're good enough to win the Super Bowl. I don't know if they're, um, I don't know if their personnel is as good as Kansas City's. Um, I don't know if their personnel is as good as Buffalo, but they're not that far. But they're not that far off. And I wouldn't. I'll put it this way: I wouldn't screw it up by going and drafting a quarterback this year, unless it was in the later rounds, a guy that you're you're really looking at as a backup. Because I think there's a respect factor for Baker Mayfield, and you know, mechanically. I mean, watch Chris Collinsworth talk about him. I mean, you know, it's about how mechanically Baker Mayfield does a lot of the right things and he seems to be he seems to have grown not only confident but there's a commanding presence there's a there's a lot different than him in his first couple of years in the league you you don't see him being as emotional as he was in in in, at OU he's growing into an adult so this is no this is good I felt really good about Baker Mayfield after that game much better than I did going into it yeah, I, look, I think Baker Mayfield's just the perfect guy for the, you know, what is the Cleveland Browns. Like, it's so easy, I think, for things to go 
like one game to be a really bad game and for that to snowball into a complete catastrophe because that's what they've been for like three decades now. They've been they've been the joke of the league. And if you don't have a guy that literally is going to show up every single day believing that he's going to turn it around, if you don't have a guy that literally shows up every day believing he is the best player in the league at what he does, then you know it's it's obviously not going to turn around. So I, I think because of the the long suffering stigma of the Browns being losers, Baker Mayfield's the perfect quarterback for that organization. And look, I think everything you mentioned as well, as far as the on-the-field stuff, just not making the big mistakes. They're good enough offensively now with that improved offensive line, with the run game, with some nice pass catchers, and, and you get Odell back you know, a year from now in, a, in an offense with Kevin Stefanski that um, is taking advantage of the strengths that you have. Baker Mayfield is more than competent to be the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. They've got to get defensive help, I think, if they're going to be really contenders with the big boys in the AFC. But I don't look at that offense and think that they are too far away from being able to compete with anybody. I mean, again, I think if, if Baker Mayfield's not trying to do too much, uh, they have all the pieces to, to have a lot of success. So, yeah, I'm, I, I think the the future for Baker Mayfield is absolutely bright. I think that the future for the Cleveland Browns with Baker Mayfield as their quarterback is bright. And I would just ask you this, is there a guy in this draft, if you were the Cleveland Browns, knowing everything you know right now, is there a quarterback in this draft that you would take instead of Baker? No, I no, there, there, there isn't. Um, not right now. However, I was thinking if where, where they were drafting, if Baker Mayfield had a bad game against Kansas City, I could justify taking a guy like Matt Jones late in the first round. Um, which would send the message that a we're moving on for Baker, or at least he's going to have to compete with his compete for his job because we feel like we've got enough on offense to win. We just need that quarterback to give to get us over the hump. Right. But Baker performs so well that you don't make that move because now, as as much as you want guys to compete every day, you need you need your franchise quarterback to know he's your franchise quarterback. So your Cleveland, yeah, that's that's not a move you make now. Plus, you're drafting a guy in the first round. I guess unless you're the Green Bay Packers, <laughs> that guy you're you're expecting that guy to play. Green Bay's the yeah. only team that drafts guys in the first round and then hangs on to them for three or four years. Well, the Chargers before wanted to to, the, to keep Herbert on the bench, but you know they did everything they could to keep Herbert on the sideline. Yeah, and, and I'm pretty sure that I, I think Cleveland wanted to keep Baker on the bench, too, yeah. when they drafted him and realized that, oh, crap, we can't do that. Um, because, hey, he's better than, he's better than Tyrod Taylor. And Herbert, Herbert's proven to be a, a franchise quarterback. But no, there's, there's no one there's no one I would take in this draft where they are, that I feel in the first round that you, you move up that at least next year would be an improvement over, over Baker Mayfield. Right. Maybe there's um, the, the kid out of North Dakota State might be better than Baker Mayfield in two or three years. Um, Josh Fields might be better in two or three years. Who knows? Matt Jones might be better in two or three years. But nobody after Trevor Lawrence, who I think is an upgrade over Baker Mayfield, not, not right now. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I think that even with Trevor Lawrence, I mean, it, it, there's no guarantee that in year one, He's going to 
to be a playoff caliber quarterback. I mean, the talent levels there, obviously, and, and I'm not saying he couldn't have the same sort of season that Justin Herbert had this year. But, you know, is, is he going to be a guy that you can a- absolutely depend on in close games? I mean, that's the benefit of Justin Herbert is it's not like he was having to win a bunch of close games with two minutes left. He played really well, but he wasn't on a playoff team, you know, in, in those situations for 16 weeks. So, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I, I think that if you are Cleveland and you are making the, the move to win now, uh, yeah, there's not a guy that I think is better today than Baker Mayfield. And once again, I, I just think he's the, he's the perfect personality for what Cleveland has to have because of their, their losing mentality for decades. And, well, and that's, you've got to be a certain personality to be cut out for that because <laughs> the weight of that entire city is resting on your shoulders and only LeBron James has been able to alleviate that some. But that, by and large, is still a city that where teams break your heart. Yeah. The, uh, the, the team formerly known as the Indians are only going to get so far. If they go to the World Series, they're going to go up three games to one of lose. They're going to lose to the Cubs of all franchises, or they're going to get beat by the Marlins. My God. The last two World Series, they've been beat by the Cubs and the Marlins. Okay, that right there alone almost find Cleveland. When you think about the Browns, when you're our age, you think about them, maybe that one year where they were the best team in the, in the AFC in 1980, back to 81, they get beat by the Raiders. The first wildcard team to win the Super Bowl. Then there's the fumble. Then there's the drive. It's Then there's the move. There's just all yeah. this stuff that is just like, my God, we're not but just that city, everybody likes to make fun of. And Baker Mayfield is that perfect mentality for them because he's a guy that just doesn't care. I mean, he's a, he's a kid that got tackled by a cop that probably had 40 pounds of equipment and weight, and I've waited like 20 pounds a day in Arkansas. Doesn't care. Doesn't face him. He gets over stuff real quick. And if you're going to be the face of Cleveland, you kind of have to be that guy because that's what they want. They want they want someone that will get in your, get right back in your face when you make fun of them. So he he fits the dynamic of, of what that city is, is looking for. Um, he probably can't raise them the way that a, the, he can probably elevate them in a way like LeBron James did, but he's good enough to where if he wins the Super Bowl. He may be more popular and more revered than LeBron James is in Cleveland because the Browns mean more than the Cavaliers. The Browns mean more to them than any team in that city. And there's something about him being the king of Cleveland that just works, where it doesn't work really any place else in the NFL, except maybe Buffalo. It has to be a market like that. One of those blue collar, Rust Belt, for lack of a better term, downtrodden yeah. kind of town. He doesn't work in Houston. He doesn't work in Dallas. Yeah. He doesn't work in New Orleans. It's you know none none of those cities really have that that, that toughness right. that a, a Cleveland has. He doesn't work in Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh has been successful, and there's an air of successfulness, and you got to carry yourself. I mean, you can be a good old boy like Barry Bradshaw. Terry Bradshaw carried himself in a certain way. You know, Ben Roethlisberger, okay, well, let's not use Ben Roethlisberger as an example. 
Uh, too many bar, bar scenes in Georgia for that. Um, <laughs> but it's just, there's something about Mayfield and Cleveland, that grit, that... It's the perfect fit. That, oh, screw you. Screw you. We don't care what you think of us. Right. No, it's, he's perfect for it. And Kyler is perfect for, for Phoenix because the most laid-back city in the NFL. Yeah. They, 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 they right? kind of care about football, but they kind of don't. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Wow. Sun's playing tonight. <laughs> All right. That's cool. Right. Kyler Murray, no matter what he says in the media, everybody's just like, okay, whatever. Like, no big deal. Whatever, man. It's all right. Yeah. Bro, go just, Steelers. Go, it's it's, yeah, still, play, it's a Steelers city. <laughs> <laughs> except for uh, that city than the Cardinals. Except for in Super Bowl thirty when it was a Cowboys city. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Your three most popular teams in Phoenix, Arizona, and I kid you not about this, because I had a friend that lived there for a long time. The Pittsburgh Steelers, the Chicago Cubs. Chicago Cubs are huge. Do, do, they, do they do spring training in Arizona? I assume? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. And then probably, you're probably right about the, about the Cowboys, because, I mean, the Cowboys just kind of have that reach everywhere they go the Raiders are yeah. Raiders are also kind of big down there but yeah the Cubs are huge because you've got a lot of snowbirds that have decided that that is a better place to go yeah. than Florida because you don't have the humidity right. now you still have 115 130 degree summers which no human is just should ever live in but that's now the alternative to Florida and if you're ever lucky enough to go to a Cubs game at, at the Bob or whatever it's called now, they've, they have had to drown out the let's go Cubs chant with the, with let's go Diamondbacks filtered in through the, through the PA system. It's hilarious. I, I was lucky enough to go see the Cubs play there once and it just, and, and the Yankees, the Yankees are well, again, the Yankees like yeah, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those two, those two fan bases drowned out the Diamondbacks. The Raiders do a good job of showing up when they play the Cardinals. And now that they're in Las Vegas, it probably gets even worse. But it's a weird city because, like, no one seems to care about the hometown teams unless it's the Suns. The Suns are the only ones that are deflected from that. And part of the reason is because I guess they're the original Phoenix team. And... Everything else is just kind of Johnny come lately, according yeah. to these people. But yeah, that's true. Uh, where, where are the Patriots picking, by the way? Fifteen. Fifteen. All right. Uh, are you uh, so are, are you going quarterback there? Like, what's your what, what's your wish list at fifteen? Well, my quarterback wish list begins and ends with Deshaun Watson. Okay, I think. Well, but I assume Dan that. But yeah. Damn him and his agent for that no trade clause doing him right. Um, and no, if you're Deshaun Watson and, and the Patriots come and knock no, you should turn that down because there's not enough around you. You'll end up like Cam Newton, and I don't see that for Deshaun Watson. He's too much, he's too good. No, I don't think you do go quarterback. I don't I mean the guy that would be there probably at fifteen would be Mac Jones. And I'm still not sold he's a franchise quarterback. I think he might be a guy that by the time his career ends, he ends up like Baker Mayfield. Good to really good, never great. And I don't 
at 15, you don't draft really good. You, you're drafting a quarterback at 15. You better draft great. Yeah. Um, and I'm also not a guy that believes in drafting for position. I'm a guy that believes in drafting talent. So whoever the best player is on the board at that time, even if you've got an overabundance at that position, you take them and figure it out later. Um, so, God, if I had a wish list right now, uh, and there's no way he's going to be there. I want the Heisman Trophy winner because they need a big-time receiver. Yeah. Um, they need they, they need help along the offensive line. And the one thing they haven't had since Corey Dillon, they haven't had a good, tough running back. But I'm thinking you can, as you and I have always said, you can get that later in the draft. Right. So, like, I don't have a guy right now picked that going, oh, yeah, I want him. He makes the difference. There's so much that they need. And it sounds like such a cop-out. Take the best guy on the board. Whatever position that is, take the best guy on the board and then go make it work. But you got to rebuild that team. It's just, it's void of personality. And the problem with Belichick is he's overthought himself in so many different drafts that I – told me there's part of me that thinks they won't pick at 15, <laughs> that they'll trade down. Absolutely, And they'll accumulate yeah. more picks. Yeah. And, and there's going to be some kid, like last year was the safety from, from, Lenore, from Lenore Ryan. That would turn out to be pretty good. But we're gonna be some, there's going to be somebody for some D3 college that he takes early in the second round because he traded down to get that pick and gave somebody 15, and then that player goes on to add. CD Lamb's had success well, here, in the NFL. Here's what'll happen. That'll, that'll be the They'll trade down with like the Saints, and the Saints will take Mac Jones at 15, and it'll be the perfect system. You know, Sean Payton's system for him will be perfect. There's already talent on the team. It's not like he has to be the best player. You know, he just has to distribute the football like he did at, at Alabama for some really good players around him, and everybody will be like, why did they trade that pick? <laughs> so there you go. I'm giving. Well, I'm just giving you the heads up to prepare for it. <laughs> trade trade the 15th pick for Jameis Winston. Oh, that man. would be no. That that would be a Raider move. That wouldn't be a Patriot yeah. move. The Raiders would pull some crap like that. By the way, I thought that it was criminal. The uh, Saints didn't put Jameis Winston in the game with five minutes left. You know that's a, that's a you're not the first person I've heard say that, and I I agree with you on it. Yeah. Um. At first, when I heard it, was like, well, wait a second, you're going to take Drew Brees out, then you realize, well, Drew Brees wasn't really lighting the world on fire in that game. He's bad, terrible, terrible. You're trying you're trying to win. I mean, yeah, Sean Payton, you're trying to win and go to the NFC Championship game and play for a Super Bowl. This isn't the last game of the regular season where right. he's gone, where you're going going to go four and twelve, and you're just letting Drew Brees have a send off where it doesn't matter. Sean Payton hurt his team uh, on Sunday. There's there's no doubt about that, and he showed why you don't need to have loyalty in sports, or at least why loyalty could hurt you, because when you're just too loyal to someone. It, it ultimately causes your downfall. And it hurts Sean Payton because next year the Saints ought to be pretty good no matter who's quarterback, whether it's Winston, Taysom Hill, whether it's, you know, Mac Jones who's taking the 15. But, you know, they may only be good enough to get where they are this time. Yeah. And 
the window may the and sometimes you don't know when that window closes. That's the man, that's the damnest thing about sports, Colby. Sometimes you just don't know when that window closes. Absolutely. And and if you blew it, I mean, this is I, I think Sean Payton will second guess himself to the day he dies on that decision. That is a that is a perfect point to make on that. I, I totally agree with you on that. And at first it was like, man, you can't you gotta go with Breeze, right? Nope. No. No, you don't. It was garbage. I, I, yeah, I just felt like he chose legacy over, you know, giving yourself the best chance to win. And look, for all those that want to defend Drew Brees, I'm, I'm not saying that Drew Brees is anything but a Hall of Famer and an all-time great and all that. But first of all, he wasn't great this season. Let's let's be real about the season he had. He was average most of the year. And in that game on Sunday, he was below average. On top of the fact, he couldn't throw the ball down the field. Like, this is, the, this is the other part. Not only does Jameis Winston give you a better chance to win, but with five minutes left, you're down by two possessions. You have to score twice. You may not even get the ball twice. So you've got to be quick. And Drew Brees, the entire game, Eric was, was dinking and dunking. The only times he tried to throw the ball down the field, it was getting picked. So, like, Jameis Winston... The longest pass he threw was, like, 20 yards yeah. or something like Jameis that. Jameis Winston is not a perfect quarterback by any means, and I'm, this is more of a Drew Brees thing for me than a Jameis Winston thing, but Jameis Winston has arm strength, and Jameis Winston can throw the ball down the field. He can stretch the field. And with five minutes left, being down by two possessions, you had to start moving quickly, and you start you had to pick up chunk yardage. And they, they just refused to do it, and it was... Uh, I, I thought it was just a bad move, and really... When you consider how close the Saints have been from the year that, you know, the Minnesota miracle happens, I thought that year they were a Super Bowl contender. The the pass interference with the Rams call, I thought they were a Super Bowl contender that year as well. And then look, this year, for, for as bad as the quarterback position is for them, I think they're good in a lot of places. There's no reason that they couldn't have won that game. In fact, I, I, I feel like they're the better team. I watched that game and I walked away from it more thinking that, that the Saints helped Tampa win it, then I, I walked away from it being like, Tampa was really good today. I mean, so many turnovers, so many points off turnovers. It, it, it just felt like the Saints were shooting themselves in the foot more than the Buccaneers were the better team. So they, they certainly could have won the game. And if, if you're a player on that team and you've been so close that many times, to see that opportunity slip away simply because you want to send a guy out the right way, I thought was just, I'd be pissed about it. I mean, personally. Well, think about it. Jameis Winston had that throw down that look yeah. that seventy five yard throw down field. Yeah, and, and and I'm sure Drew Brees wouldn't have liked it, but Drew Brees would have understood. Absolutely. That's the other thing is you probably didn't give him enough credit a, as a competitor to know what was at stake here, and you just go to him and say, "I'm sorry, but I got to go with Jameis here in the second half, or I got to go with Taysom Hill to to give us." A, an option of a guy that, that's going to be able to, to, to run the ball or do some. Well, Tays- Taysom Hill was can't. out, so he wasn't an option. Oh, but, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about yeah. that. But yeah, you could you could have easily done it. Drew Brees wouldn't have liked it, but he would have understood. Right. I mean, and that's it, it would have been a terrible way for him to go out. But even for the Iconics, most of the time it doesn't end the way that you want it to end, especially in football. It just you're right you sort of wilt away and you get to a point where you can't perform the way that you used to. So it's, 
for for Sean Payton, that'll that'll be one that, that he re, that he regrets for a while. And even if they do win another Super Bowl, you're gonna you're always gonna wonder what if what if I did what if I'd have done this? Yeah. Um. And you'll probably until he writes his book. Um, long after he retires, he'll probably never admit that he was wrong. And then when he writes his book, oh yeah, by the way, here it is. I should have yeah. been playing. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. All right, let's wrap up with this. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Uh, yesterday was the uh, deadline for players, underclassmen, to announce whether they're leaving for the draft or coming back. Um, the Cowboys with two big returns with uh, Colby Harvell-Peel and Trey Sterling both coming back to Stillwater. Obviously, for Oklahoma, all the defensive linemen not named Ronnie Perkins are coming back. So um, I, I think that uh, that both OU and OSU fans should be extremely excited about the guys that chose to come back and play another year. Yeah, I think for OSU fans, getting Colby Harvell-Peel back was huge. That cannot be understated. Um, and, and look, I've said this. I'm going to stick by it. He was the best defensive player I saw in the Big 12 last year. Now, does that mean he was the best? No. Understand what I'm saying. That was the team I saw the most. That was the team I saw in person the most last year. Colby Harvell Peel was the best player on Oklahoma State's defense, which was a really good defense for the exception of two games this year, OU and Texas Tech. Other than that, they were pretty salty. Um, so to have him back, and he's a guy that he's one, he can cover. He, he's one of those safeties he can hit, he can recover. He is that perfect combination of cover guy slash linebacker, quarterback, whatever you want to say. Nickel, but you can throw him into so many different categories. Um, for Oklahoma State, that is a huge boost. Plus, he brings some much needed leadership. To that defense, and you just hope that Trace Ford comes back healthy next year. Um, you're getting Malcolm Rodriguez back on that defense, and I'm interested to see if Colin Oliver uh, from Evans yeah. Santa Fe can make any noise on that de- on that defense. And I only say that because again, the guy that I I've watched him play since the time he was a freshman in high school, and that comes from knowing his parents. And it's not look, I'm not a recruiting guy. Would even fame being a recruiting guy that goes out and films every Friday and goes all over the state. Again, people in these jobs I don't want. Recruiting guys. Um, but I think Oklahoma State is they're set up much better on defense now just with his return than they were at this time last week. This time last week I expected them to take a step maybe two back, not be in position till maybe mid season where they could possibly win you a game. Now I think if for some reason you've got the offense that starts off slow again, they can win games like they did earlier in the season through their defense. So that I cannot even remotely tell you how thrilled I was to see him coming back for OSU. Um, For OU, God, dude. I mean, can we, dare we get excited about an OU defense? You should. It feels like we can. You should. It feels like we can. Not not you can. I think you should. If, (laughs) if, uh, if you haven't evaluated the last two years as massive improvements each way. And and again, I think a lot of the first year with Alex Grinch was completely, you know, wiped away with how bad LSU just annihilated that defense. And they did that to everybody. But I think a lot of the the improvement was forgotten about because of how bad LSU just you know went up and down the field. But to see the improvement from year one to year two, and then look at the players they have coming back. And again, I made this point all year long. The reason they were dominant, not just good, but dominant defensively, 
was because the defensive line was dominant every single week. I mean, again, I, you know, the back seven obviously has made steps, and, and specifically I think the secondary has been better than it, it was uh, in the Mike Stoops era for sure. But again, we don't know that that's the case if, if the, the front four aren't just completely dominating the line of scrimmage and pressuring the quarterback consistently. And I just look at Isaiah Thomas and Perrion Winfrey and Nick Benito coming back. Obviously, Jalen Redmond being a part of that mix again next year. Some of the young guys that, that have potential to be difference makers. And I, I think, once again, they're going to be dominant there. And, I mean, if, if you're dominant there, you're going to be a dominant defense, period. This is the best chance since 2008 that they have to win a national championship. 100%. And when you look at the defensive side of the ball, I mean, one, I mean, I think you pointed out there's some things that play in their favor. One, you pointed out that the Big 12 over this last year has become more balanced. So other than really Texas Tech, and I know Oklahoma, look, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, and with the way TCU has kind of run their offense, and um, Baylor, Baylor seems to be a little bit more balanced. I mean, those three teams, they still want to spread you out. I mean, Oklahoma State would love to spread you out if they could. Tech is always going to be that way. Which I mean, which is why they went out. Was it? Which one of? Not Sunny Cumbie. Sunny Cumbie still at. Uh, Sunny Cumbie left TCU Sunny for Cumbie Tech. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They go out, they get funny company. So they're, I mean, look, they're going back to being what tech is. OSU will always have that element. As much as they want to run the ball, they like to go up and down the field and play fast. Um, same with TCU. So if you're really only talking about now, it, it, depending on if you want to include Baylor, three, what I would call true spread teams in the Big 12 where everyone else is is searching for a little bit more balance and wants to play a little bit more defense. And I think that plays really well into Alex Grinch's hands. What's interesting is that once you get to the college football playoff, if you're facing Alabama, if you're facing Clemson, you know, are you going to have the same kind of success on defense as you, as you did in the Big 12, which is ultimately the big question. And I think at least at least right now, if you're an OU fan, you can feel confident that you won't get your doors blown off. And offensively, if Lincoln Riley will stay patient, I think you can keep just about anybody's offense off the field this year yeah. with Great. what they're going to have coming in at running back with Kennedy Brooks. Um God, man, I, my Marcus Majors coming back, running back. I mean, they're, I think they're good, and, and I think I think this is the best prop of wide receivers they've had in a couple of years. That wide receiving core is phenomenal. I mean, it's Spencer Rattler has got to be. He probably can't sleep at night thinking about all the weapons that he has and all the different ways they're going to have opportunities to score this year. I mean, really, as an OU fan. Your fancy ought to be so tickled right now that that the next eight months or so are going to be driving you crazy. This is I this is the most excited OU fans can really feel in in a very long time. And you're usually yeah. excited going into every football season, but it feels it feels more real. Where it felt like with Baker, with with the two years or the three years with Baker Mayfield, the one year with Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts. You were, you were hoping some things would would break your way, 
where now it feels like, man, you really can't compete. Like you're going to be mentioning OU in the same breath that we mentioned Clemson, that we mentioned Alabama with. And it's been a long time coming, a long time coming yep. for OU fans to have, to have this kind of, kind of success. So enjoy, enjoy it. You know, make every make every Saturday freaking count, as they say, as a fan, which means drink a whole hell of a lot. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> look, I, they lose some key players, and and I'm not disputing that that you know guys like Creed Humphrey and Ronnie Perkins aren't major losses, but you bring back your quarterback, you bring back all of the offensive weapons they have. I I would say that maybe at a lot of other places, I would be a little more concerned about the offensive line situation, and and look, that's still a question for me, but. I think you also have to understand you're probably talking about the best offensive line coach in the country uh, with Bill Biedenboe. So, it, you know, again, it's a question just in terms of some new pieces, but a lot like Alabama just reloads, that's one of those areas where I think we all just can kind of safely assume that uh, you're, you're still going to have a pretty good product there no matter what. And then again, I, you know, the defense, um, I, I think, is going to be dominant on the line of scrimmage. And when that's the case, you have a chance. And when you look at, you know, obviously, like I just said, Alabama's getting wiped out. Now, again, because they've done it so much, we we just assume that, you know, they're going to reload in all those positions they're losing and they're going to be right back there. But, you know, if, if you have a quarterback struggling a, a year from now, I mean, who's to say that Alabama is back in that situation? Obviously, there's a change of quarterback at Clemson. Again, a guy that we expect to be insanely good. It's just a matter of how quickly he takes those steps. Like Spencer Rattler this year. Right, Spencer Rattler, we knew he was going to be good. It was just a matter of how long it was going to take for him to get really comfortable and understand the offense completely and and deliver that sort of product on the field that matched his his skill level. So, I, I yeah, I, if if you're an OU fan, I, I don't know how you are are uh, containing your excitement for the next eight months because I, I think that uh, if if they're not in the situation to compete for national championship next year, I think it's been a complete disaster. I, I totally agree with you. And you, you asked a couple of weeks ago, give me a reason why they're not ranked number one. I think most OU fans don't want them to be ranked number one coming into the season. I think they would rather see Alabama, yeah, sure. Georgia, yeah. Ohio State. And, and, and that way, as much as you can, because you really can't do this when you're OU, you can fly under the radar. And I think we're going to have a very, I Colby, this is going to be, this is going to be a less, typical college football season than what we have seen over the last few years, because even as strange as this one was, it still garnered the same results. If you look at the SEC West coming back next year, while Alabama is the clear favorite, you mentioned all the, all the question marks they have coming back. Well, you have a coaching change down at Auburn. LSU, I don't think anybody knows what to make of them next year. And they've made a lot of coaching changes. Arkansas was a hell of a lot better and may actually factor into the SEC West next year. Um, one, because they've improved, and two, because a lot of teams have dropped. AM unfortunately loses some key guys off this team, so you're not really sure what to make of them. And while it looks like it's setting up for Alabama to kind of run away with it, they're, they're going to take a step back. We'll come back to the pack a little bit, but I think you're looking at an SEC West where if Alabama comes out of it, they're probably going to be undefeated in in their division, and maybe their only losses come from the eastern side. Like I don't, I mean, Florida, Florida could be good. Georgia ought to be good next year. I think you're only seeing. I mean, right now there's only three teams in the SEC 
But I look and say, wow, I think those three teams can go to the playoffs. It's not your usual four or five deep. Um, if you look in the Big 12, you, we got a huge question mark with Texas. Again, talent coming back. Steve Sarkeesian's changing some things. Casey Thompson playing quarterback. Are they actually going to be a factor this year? And then in, in the Big Ten, well, it's Ohio State. Um, it's Ohio State. I'm interested to see what I'm interested to see if Penn State recovers this year and can actually be competitive, and how much just the season jacked with them. But right. it it feels like it's going to be a much different year. Where maybe dare I say we've got one new name in the college football playoff. I mean, maybe it's you know maybe it is somebody out of the Pac-12 that makes it. Who knows? Um, USC. It just. I you were saying you know, I was going to say Colorado oh, if okay. they could go on if, if they if they could have another if they could have another run because USC is too typical. I'd like to see yeah. I'd like to see Colorado make it, um, but I don't know. In the, in the Big Twelve, Iowa State, OU, Texas, those are those are probably your three teams with Oklahoma State kind of a fringe fourth out there. But the SEC West will be interesting. Yeah, I was about to ask where do you SEC factor West Oklahoma State here? into the mix? I think they're, they're fourth right now. Um, it, it's hard to go any higher than that um, just because last year I thought they had a real good chance of making a run to the the, the Big 12 championship game and you know managed to, to lose three games in season. So it's, I'm not going to pick them any higher than that. Yeah. I'll, I'll put it this way. I won't pick them any higher than third uh, this year if I'm at – uh, you know, if I vote yeah. again on the on the Big Twelve preseason poll, but um, I think the SEC West is going to be an absolute mess. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Alabama, A and M, and then ever. I think it's Alabama, then A and M, and then everybody else. A and M brings back a bunch of players, and then honestly, I I just say this: for as much as we talk about all these top teams in college football losing their quarterbacks, for A and M that might be uh, addition by subtraction. So. It's interesting that you say that. I, it'd be good to have A&M up there. Um, I, I want to see if Old Miss can take a leap, but and be so. I mean, you're kind of yeah. this is kind of the window for some teams like Arkansas and Old Miss and A&M to step up and fill voids that that were usually filled by LSU and Auburn. Because I yeah. think both. I still am not. I think LSU. LSU may be an absolute dumpster fire by the end of this season a lot of talent but it doesn't seem like there's a whole heck of a lot of direction in that program right now it's like eddie o is is finally becoming (laughs) eddie o and it it's all about to go side it's all it feels like it's all about to go sideways on him doesn't doesn't lsu Uh, right now kind of feel like text like the position texas was in at the end of mac brown's tenure where again there there were just a lot of i mean great recruits obviously a, a lot of Big time talented players, but just a just so much chaos that a failure to to get the best out of your players and and just a I don't know that's that's kind of the impression I get with LSU right now. No, that's that, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Um, it just like oh wow, I mean it worked so well. I mean you lost your defensive coordinator last year, Dave Miranda, and instead of maybe promoting somebody up, take care of that. You went out and you got both Pelini and that got sideways real quick. Um, you lost your offensive coordinator to, to, the, to the NFL and you bring in Scott Linehan. Yeah, it was Scott yeah. Linehan that you brought in. Yeah. And that, 
I don't know. It, it felt like it felt like Ed Ogeron didn't have a plan for those guys leaving, and it felt like he just threw darts at board. Like he was completely shocked that these guys got opportunities after winning a national championship. <laughs> well, guess what? That's what happened. Yeah. Uh, he, he doesn't seem. I've, I've often questioned him being able to run a program, and. It seemed like he was a really good fit at LSU, but all those issues that he had at Ole Miss, and maybe we're starting now to see the reason why USC didn't hire him, is because he really can't keep a grasp on it for, for a very long time, which is sad because in a way he's a likable guy, but ultimately, I don't know. I just don't. I don't feel that situation being stable at all. Yeah. And anybody that joins his staff, I would say buckle up and. Hopefully you're going to make a lot of money and, and land on your feet afterwards. Yeah, I don't. I don't think LSU is, is bouncing back next season. All right, my friend. Uh, always appreciate it. We will uh, catch up again next Tuesday and uh, have a great week, man. You too, Colby. That is Eric G from the Tulsa Sports Animal joining me every Tuesday. Big thanks to him. Once again, the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and the new Delta 8 capsules. When you use the discount code Colby Show, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, Colby Show online, abotanicalcompany.com, you save 15% off your online order. So again, check out the website. Colby Show at checkout to save 15% off your online order, abotanicalcompany.com. Everybody have a great day, stay safe, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.